So welcome everybody. This is Avro Leads the podcast. My name is Steph and I'm here with my sister Julie. We are two sisters on a mission to promote black British business and culture. At present we have multiple social media platforms, our main one being Instagram where we post positive features about black business, groups, communities, celebrities, music and so much more. Allow me to introduce today's wonderful guest. Mr. Nathaniel Pete is a multi-award winning entrepreneur, international speaker, martial artist, engineer, and pilot. Nathaniel is the founder of the multi-award winning social enterprise, The Safety Box, a company whose training and development programs helps with reducing youth violence and helps young people develop important social and commercial skills. He's also the patron of the Ernst & Young Foundation, chairman of Jamaicans Inspired, or JAMIN, as it's known, co-founder of Gen X Solar, in 2007, he was the first double award winner of the Enterprise and Young Brits competition. In 2009, he travelled to Jamaica along with 30 young people from the UK, where he spoke at Jamaica's first youth diaspora conference. In 2010, Nathaniel represented Great Britain as a youth delegate for the G20 Toronto Young Entrepreneurs Summit in Canada. In July 2011, Nathaniel received an honorary award from Brunel University as the Alumnus of the Year. In 2012, he was instrumental in connecting the Diana Princess of Wales Memorial Charity, the Diana Award, to Jamaica. And in 2017, Mr. Pete was entered into the UK Black Power List and BAME 100 Top Board Index List. I'm sure that's not exhaustive, but thank you and welcome, <laughs> Mr. Nathaniel Pete. Yes, good. Good to be here with you guys this evening. It's great. Thank you. Welcome. Just that list in terms of your achievements is, it's exceptional. It's intimidating, but you are just so lovely and you're just you're so welcoming, even though we've just started the interview, etc. But I just want to say a massive thank you and for thank you for representing the culture and the, the country with everything that you do. Thank you for having me. It's great to be connected to, you know, two powerful black women that are really trying to create an impact, in fact, disrupt the norm and to, you know, just bring and highlight and showcase the best of black people when, you know, we're living in a time when there's so much negative, but um, you guys are just shining the light. So big up to you guys and thank you so much. It's good to be oh, here with you. Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you. So lovely. So as I've mentioned in our little intro, we have so many questions, so we're going to jump right in. My sister and I have been big fans for a long time, and regardless of seeing the current things and doing our research in terms of your history, I've always said to my sister, I wonder what a young Nathaniel Pete was like. So can you tell us what your background was and how, where you grew up and what you were like growing up? Well, I came from a very strong Jamaican family, so I, you know, I, I had some very strong parents in my life, and that basically was really good at primary school because I had a lot of knowledge which was taught to me you know a lot of messaging which was put into me because my parents suffer from a lot of racism being in the United Kingdom and so they programmed myself and my brothers with this mindset of you can do all right don't let anybody tell you that you can't and so coming through primary school I went into secondary school my secondary school wasn't like my primary school I went to a rough secondary school it's a school known as Northumberland Park synonymous with Northumberland Park Killers which is a big gang in Tottenham one of the biggest gangs in Tottenham in fact Mark Duggan used to go to my school just to contextually put the area and, and for those of the listeners that don't know who Mark Duggan was he was someone that was murdered in a real situation with the police and unfortunately he lost his life as a result of you know a life that he chose and that started the London riots Anyway, yeah, so I went to school and, you know, my teacher at the time, we felt as though she had some level of prejudice for myself and my, my fellow, you know, other black young people that were in Tottenham going to school. And my maths at primary school was excellent. I went to secondary school, the maths wasn't at the level that I was used to. And so what happened at secondary school is I started to mess about, started to mess about again with teachers that I didn't feel had the best interest for me I wasn't engaged in the curriculum by the time I got to my third year I was bunking school I was out on the roads I was doing things I was picking up nice I, I was with my friends I was moving on the roads I was doing stuff out there and fourth year I'm failing in school <laughs> fifth year now my dad says to me as a Jamaican he said Nathaniel let me tell you something if you're not getting to school I'm gonna kick you out of the, if you're not getting to college I'm gonna kick you out of the house so my dad said that to me I gotta kick you out of the house and I believe my dad, I believe my dad, you know, and 
and I did, I got four GCSEs because I was messing about. I was moving with the wrong people. I was hanging around the wrong type of individuals. My circle of friends uh, were not really friends, you know, because of the things that we were involved in. Another one of my mates showed me a gun when I was 16 years old. And, you know, it's a choice whether or not you're going to hold a weapon or you're not going to hold a weapon. I, I chose not to. But that's just given you contextually what I was yeah. in. I was like yeah. a little, I was like a rude boy <laughs> with, with, you know, decent parents, but literally just using my talent and my skill in the wrong way because I wasn't entertained by the, the, the system which was teaching me. I, I, I wasn't feeding into the system that was teaching. I, I felt as though the school didn't have my best interest at heart. And consequent to that, I, I didn't do well at school and I had to hustle my way into college. And so my friend got an enrollment letter for Kingsway College in King's Cross. And I remember with this letter that he got his enrollment, I didn't get any. I only had four GCSEs. None of them were maths and science. And I remember we went to the college and he basically showed the piece of paper to the security guard, which showed that he was a student that was going to enroll into the college. And what he did is he passed the paper back to me. Oh, I, took, like it. <laughs> I took it, yeah, under the counter. So you can't see, like, example, um, right now, I, I don't know where this is going to be, but, but we're, we can see each other at the moment. Yeah. Right? I don't know if you guys are just hearing or seeing, right? But anyway, I'm going to show the paper and I'm going to pass it down where it's below <laughs> my camera now. It's below my camera. Yeah. They can't see it. And it goes to the, and I showed the same thing and I go into the college. And I had this ambition. I always wanted to. Amazing. I always wanted to be a pilot. And, you know, I remember going to the college and I had a fake gold cap tooth, eyebrow markup. I had a patterned hairstyle and I'm walking a certain way. I just got this swagger, like this rude boy swagger. And I failed maths, I failed science. And there were the, I, I knew that aviation required maths and physics and science. And I didn't have any of them. And I remember when I went and I sat in the A-level physics line, I was this little black boy with a fake gold cap tooth, eyebrow markup, didn't look like the person that should be in the A-level physics line. And I got to the front and after an hour queuing and the man said to me, you don't have the grades, you're going to have to repeat your exams. I got up, I walked around again and I'm like, you know, I need to go back. I went back and I queued up for another hour. I got to the front of the man said, you don't have the grades, you're going to have to repeat your GCSEs. Understand that I was rejected from this college, rejected from that college. My school didn't want to take me back. My friends are outside on road. Some of them going to the grave, others going to prison. Others still on the road, mm -hmm. running from people, watching their back every minute. And so college would be a lifeline to me to actually get out of what Correct. I was in. And so I went back and I queued up for another hour. I've been there for three hours. It's very tough when you would get rejection. But mm -hmm. turning inside of us said, go back. I went back. And then the woman sitting next to this man that was rejecting me was the head of the physics department. Anita worries. I would never forget her. And Anita sat on the board of the college. And she said, look, I've seen you come back three times. Anyone with that level of determination and drive, I'm sure we'll be oh. able to put A level in physics. And That's what she amazing. did is she went over and she said, I'm going to come back with a letter and take this to another A level and tell them that I sent you. So I went and I did that. Oh, I got into wow. two A-levels and a one GCC. And so my early years were solid. I had a solid foundation in primary. Secondary, I was a rebel. Mm -hmm. And by the time I started to get towards the 18, 19, I started to get my life back on track because I didn't want to end up the way that some of my friends had ended up. And I saw my friends going to prison. I saw other people dying, you know, 16, 15 year olds when I was growing up in the area. And I saw the trajectory that they were on and I didn't really want to be part of that. So I had to make my mind up really to make the right choice to get on the right path. That's incredible. Incredibly powerful story. And Thank you for sharing that because you you know you, you don't have to and what you've described is still happening now in terms of young black children achieving and attaining in primary school but come secondary school they're failed you know it seems that you were not challenged enough so you know you're just your child's obviously going to make your own entertainment and then you disengage and unfortunately you know circumstances around you may have seemed more attractive but it's a great that you still have you had that foresight to realize actually I'm not gonna go down this route and I just love I mean I didn't expect to have to I've got so many things around me tissues were not one of them that's just amazing that somebody could see your determination and gave you a chance that's all you wanted and yeah, yeah that's all you wanted and needed and deserved I think that's incredible absolutely incredible massively and it, it definitely goes to show, like I hear a lot of, and I've, I've been listening to quite a lot of documentaries at the moment about the black experience. And one of the themes that is so prevalent is this, you are a product of your surroundings or your environment. And your primary environment was obviously somewhere that just, 
you reacted to being you know motivated and being encouraged and obviously you got the results based on that and then when that's taken away of course you rebel we've all been in those situations where if you're not getting the right drive push or even attention as a young person you need attention and care it's very easy to go somewhere else where you're going to get that attention where it's probably not best suited so to get from that, that environment to oh, that, that lady, what was her name again? The, your, Anita, the teacher that Anita, spotted you? Anita, Anita Worries, yeah. Yeah, she, yeah. unreal. The, the, the world needs more of those because there's many Nathaniel Peets all over the, the UK that don't get that, that chance. So, wow, incredible. Thanks so much for sharing that. Do you think this element of, I know environment is important, but having a mentor in those environments, do you think that is just as crucial or do you think some, sometimes it's just down to the person's drive or tenacity or is it a mixture of both you can have great mentors in an environment and the person still fails mm-hmm. and this person still falls a mentor and a guide is incredibly important both in terms of instilling certain messaging into your brain and also guiding and steering you but you have to be ready to actually receive that because if you're not ready for that then it doesn't matter how good the mentor is doesn't matter how good the role model is if you're not ready for that change and if they can't show you something that is going to help you and meet your direct need then you know you're you're probably going to choose the wrong way to go and that really is that's dependent on then based upon the environment, because there's a statement which I use often, if you associate with the chickens, you never fly with the eagles. And the thing is, if you're around chickens all the time and the chicken keeps doing this and putting their head, everyone around you is doing this. Everyone around you is programmed to do this. What's gonna happen is you're gonna end up start doing this too. So the pressure locally does definitely impact you. However, you need to have you need to have the aspiration. And so when you've got a role model that is aspiring you or is trying to help you with your, inspire you up and just, you're, you're now in a position where you're looking up and you're aspiring to get to that place where they're providing that inspiration. Now your desire is, I want to fly like an eagle. I want to fly like a real bird. And so then you put your head up and you, you stop doing that type of chicken movement. So there's so many things which impact and it's such a complex thing to address when you're talking about youth violence, when you're talking about failure, you know, you know your environment does determine a lot and uh, but mentors do help but uh, it all comes down to choice at the end of the day mm. yeah but hearing your backstory safety box makes so much sense it's just like you you're coming from a place of experience and I'm sure that's so powerful for the young people that are fortunate enough to be on your program but I, you started that when you were still young like only 25 how did that come about well I'm actually in the same office as Kyan Prince Foundation in the same building so they're in another office in, in the same building but the Kyan Prince Foundation was started when my friend's son Mark Prince was his his son Kyan Prince was actually murdered in Stamford the Heart and at the time I remember I had a concept of it was, I actually called it her safety box initially because what I was trying to do is I was trying to run personal protection programs for women. That's okay. how it started. That's how it really was. And, okay. and it, was, it used to be called her safety box. And then I just had these things around hearing the, the, the noise around young people falling. And I remembered that what was missing from my education, I remembered my friends that were going through it. And then it became the safety box. And when Mark lost his son, that was the pivot for me. I said, you know, I've really got to get this thing moving. It has to move out of a voluntary. It's got to turn into a proper organization. And I'm going to go for it. And I push it. So really, that was the mechanism. It was the you. It was just, I was just tired of seeing young people falling, young people failing. I was tired of seeing people being stabbed and murdered and shot. I was tired of people ruining their life through drugs. I was tired of my friends, you know, getting pregnant. I was tired of hearing girls that get raped and sexually assaulted by, by people I was tired of all of that bullying and um, everything that happens with young people that you know sucked into you know the social ills and so it really was to proactively address all those growing concerns that we still have now of antisocial behavior violence low self-esteem gang violence knife crime and drugs and so really that's that's where it started just, just that great passion to make an impact you're meeting people where they're at you know looking on your website it's not just engaging in schools it's engaging outside of the mainstream really 
trying to target those who would benefit the most and absolutely absolutely i mean we're, we we hit we hit both the education sector which is primary through to secondary education we hit also the criminal justice system as well all education so whether that be in the community whether that be with young people on court orders whether that be in the prisons on the front line whether that be right in the community in the middle of the gangs where we're working with people that are on road active on road um, so we work with high risk and we work with the lower end of the risk as well which is young intervention where we were talking about primary school and so forth uh, but right the way to the end where we're dealing with adults that have offended in some of the most violent episodes of, of, of knife crime and gun crime and uh, really impacting and empowering their lives. We've turned a lot of ex-offenders around and a number of these people have also assisted us to stop potential conflict with young people based on their street credibility. So there's been a lot of violent, what we call violence interruption work, as well as, you know, changing of people's mindsets so that they can elevate and, and, and just basically have a better life. Yeah, that's powerful. And you will never... Well, I keep saying it, but you'll because you keep meeting such amazing people, but you'll never fully appreciate what you're doing because it's the legacy, it's the generational benefit of that for you helping one young individual to turn the trajectory of their life around, what that means for their children, grandchildren, etc. Incredible, amazing. I mean, hundred percent fulfilling job to do. Like at the end of the day, you know that you're doing you're doing great things 100% you know even today I, I had to rush back down to the office for this because I, I I was called for a mother that was frightened for their 12 year old son so I still do a lot of face-to-face -face work I could you know I dress up in a, in a suit sometimes in the boardroom but sometimes I just fling on a hoodie and go out and get into it you know because I, 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 I like to be I like to be current I like to be there I like to do some of the intervention work myself so it's really rewarding when a young person says that you've had an impact on their life. I had a call from a teacher the other day. She called in and she said that, you know, one of the, her pupils came to her and said, look, someone tried to attack them with a knife in a part of London. They used some of the tactics that we showed them to protect themselves against a knife. The teacher was so, oh, wow. she was so happy. You know, we hear these testimonials all the while. I recently had one of my ex-offenders, you know, he was released from prison about uh, four years ago. He was on our program and we're trying to help him to, you know, aspire higher and get his head into thinking about business and what do you like? I like cars. All right, cool so let's talk about a car business now he owns his own car business now like it's amazing you know and there's so many stories that make it worthwhile and it's understanding what your purpose is you know because once you find your purpose once you find what is inside of you that thing that makes you tick and you start to do it you start to walk in your purpose then you start to live a fulfilled life yeah. when you begin when you live a fulfilled life that's when you become content Mm. And contentment is something Amen. that people lack these days yeah. because contentment yeah they're not content you know and once you begin to walk in your purpose then you become content in life even in, even when the things you know strike you and hit you you're still happy you know and it's uh, it's just a good place so definitely you know walk in your purpose live your purpose 100 definitely oh. i love that i think especially in this period as well i think regardless of what job you you, you did pre-covid and i think this period makes you think like what how can i really add value to this world in essence so you doing what you do and inspiring so many kings and queens it's it's really is so inspiring it leads on to, to one of the things that I, was, I was talking to my sister about and when we were discussing the prep for this conversation and i used to work in education actually and i used to do quite a lot of outreach with not primary school but sort of like gcc level upwards and at that point in time, if I think, and this is my own opinion, I can't speak for other the institution on a whole, but I often found that if children or if students hadn't been taught things like communication, leadership skills, how to articulate an argument professionally, by that point, they probably weren't going to have a really good foundation as how to do that in the professional world. Whereas you get these kids at such a young age and you can really mould that understanding of, of, the, of those core business professional you know, entrepreneurial skills. From your perspective, how important was that for you to embed that into what you do, knowing the, the background of, of, of the children that, or, the, or the students that you work with? You see, everything is incentive driven at that age you know it's, it's a lot about competition who's got the nicest trainers who's who's wearing the latest thing you know i mean who's got the latest style who's got the latest phone what's the latest hairdo what's the latest haircut what's the you know it's all about it's all about competition at that age and, and incentives and so what we do is we, we connect things to what they're interested in so how do you make maths interesting you connect it to money 
right? Okay, you need money for this, okay? You need, all right, so business now, where you're talking about, all right, what do young people want? Especially when you're talking about these young people that are at risk or don't have these social skills that you're talking about. The main thing that they think is, well, I'm not strong academically. I don't do well in this, so I'm going to choose the roads. I'm going to choose the streets. By showing them another practical way that they can earn money based off their skill, yeah. Mm. So, you know, I mean, we had one guy, I've got so many examples, right? There's one you were working with, he's 15 years old, yeah? My G, he's been in and out of prison since age 10, right? <laughs> and he can cook. I said, this boy can't cook, he can cook. Yeah, he can, he can cook black food. <laughs> so, you know, he can cook good, right? Anyway, so listen, he can bake as well. And you know them nice... You know those nice cakes that you eat that you, you only can get them in in African stroke Caribbean mm. homes, right? Or houses or, mm. or weddings or whatever. And you can cook those type of cakes. You know they're very expensive to cook. So this is the youth that was going country. When I say go country, I'm talking about selling drugs, right? So he's going out of town to sell drugs. He basically is earning 200 pounds a trip. So now we now gave him some another way where he can earn 250 pounds by baking a cake. Less risk, no risk, no yeah. risk, no risk of a murder, no risk of prison, no risk of police. And so what it is is showing them a practical way based upon their skill sets which they have. And a lot of them have got the gift of the gap. A lot of them have entrepreneurial skills. They have no, they have a no fear attitude. They are risk takers. These are all of the traits that you need for entrepreneurship and businesses. So when you can incubate that and you can help to give them a different type of way of getting money or income you know then then you're able to to pivot them so you know that's that's why we apply the way in which we do we make it practical for their needs you know if you need your haircut stephanie if you need a haircut or if you need need something you're going to go to the barber right yeah you're gonna go to the hairdresser right and because that's your need that 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 hairdresser is never ever going to not have an appointment correct yeah, yeah. So the thing is, when you match their need with us with the service, that's when they mm -hmm. see that they can actually earn the income. The example that you gave is just so powerful because you have elevated a skill, a talent that this young man maybe didn't actually appreciate for what it was. Maybe thought everybody could do that. Oh, yeah. So what? What can I do with it? You've said you can monetize this. It's a gift. Not everyone can bake. Not everyone can cook. Or they can't do it as well as you can. And so it's just pointing out because of so often these individuals have been told what they're not what they can't do or been kind of just had the narrative imprinted on them about you know low expectations so, and if you told something enough often you start to believe it so for you to then completely do the opposite it must be so like inspiring because maybe there wasn't anyone at home to appreciate that cooking and mm. that could be for lots of reasons maybe parents are working two or three jobs they're not home and that's why he's learned to cook because he's had to cook for himself but no one else is there to appreciate it there's so many like reasons but you have pointed out this gifting that they that this individual has and yeah hopefully you'll run with it we'll have that's incredible it is you, you must literally go to bed at night with a smile on your face you must be like i've done good today <laughs> you know what you should wake up every single day with this mindset that you're going to create an impact mm -hmm. with whatever it may be that might be just seeing somebody and saying saying how are you like what's good i'm checking in on you sending somebody a message saying you know what you are really great you're great for being a friend you're great for this you know it's just sowing something positive in someone else's life and you see the more you do that that actually has an impact psychologically on your mind and also healing on your body because as even if i smile at both of you i'm just, just gonna ching ting. all right ching ting. i'm gonna ching ching with you lot. i'm gonna smile right i'm smiling <laughs> yeah you're both laughing yeah. both of you are laughing that's a whole one known as dopamine that's a that's called dopamine right and so the thing is when you actually give out that dopamine is received and then dopamine comes back to you it's really hard to smile at and smile at a mirror and the mirror's not smile back at you mm -hmm. it's really hard to hold a straight face when someone's looking at you the skinny teeth right <laughs> so the thing is it is all about human interaction 
you know, and when you actually wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, nothing today is going to get me down. I'm only going to have a good day. Even if I get out of bed and I stand on the plug and I bump my foot on the door and if it starts to rain down, I'm still going to have a good day. And that's a yeah. choice that you make. And every time you make that choice, it, it, it fills you up with power. It creates healing in your mind and it creates a good, happy feeling. And so when you go to bed at night, then you say, yes, today was a good day. Yeah. I love it. I love God, that. I love it. So I obviously I'm a big fan and you must you must appreciate this isn't just me kind of gassing you up, but you are a very, very successful black man. Do you ever experience any elements where you think that is blatantly racist or that's a microaggression whilst you're at work? Even because you're at such a high level, it's so interesting to see if these dynamics that happen to the normal black person happen to somebody at your at your level. 100%, you know, in aviation, for those of you that don't know, I'm actually a qualified pilot as well when I was flying more actively. I remember I was flying into an airport in the South one time and I was with my white colleague at the time. We basically were admiring his jet. He had a jet, which was just a beautiful Gulfstream. And for those of you who can Google a Gulfstream and see what a Gulfstream jet looks like, you know, obviously a very wealthy man. And he comes and he walks over to myself and my colleague, you know, we're all pilots. So we're just kind of admiring and everything. And and as, 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 um, as we talk to him, we're, we're saying, you know, it's a really nice jet. And he says, you know, one thing that really annoys me is people that shouldn't be in the flight deck. One's a woman, the other's the N-word. And um, that was blatant. I've had, other, I've had other situations. I remember one time when I was doing my airline transport pilot license examinations in a class. And I remember one, one of the white, white youths at the back was throwing grapes on my back. You're talking about racism that is, that's there. In addition to that, you know, there's other things whereby you look at, you know, when I was younger, all right, there's probably reasons why I got stopped when I was younger, right? But anyway, <laughs> anyway, when, <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, stop and search does bother, you know, a lot of people. And I do see and I, I have experienced levels of racism myself, direct racism. It's in industries where you don't see lots of people looking like us. I won't even name some of these companies because they're quite big, but my black fellow pilots have also and can testify of um, the racism that is in aviation. That's crazy. The reason why I asked the question is because there is this element of, and this might just be me, but when you're younger, you're told work twice as hard just to get to the half as level or just to the same level as your white counterpart. So you're thinking I'll graft and graft and graft and work and work and work. And then I'll get to a point whereby it's all going to be equal. So I look at somebody like you, Nathaniel, and I think, God, he is the epitome of you have purpose, you have passion, you have intelligence and you have all of this experience. He must be at a level where he's done with all of this now. But it is heartbreaking to hear that even when you are at your level and you're smashing it in so many areas, that you still get that. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's a perception, you see, because it's a systematic and a systemic problem of society yeah. and culture. And you see, in particular in the prisons, I can give you even more recent situations where myself and my colleagues that would be going into prisons to do intervention work, and we are wearing hoodies when we're going into prison, and we'll get looks from the guards. We would get assumptions which are made about us, mm -hmm. and we would have lower level individuals within some of these places not in kent the kent ones are fine yeah so i'm not i'm not saying nothing about the kent jails the kent jails are fine in some other places and when i say that we have had people look at us a certain way we've had individuals in levels of governance that have assumed negative things about us until we actually then go above their head and they realize, oh, these guys are a little bit more tapped in than we think. Yeah. And, you know, it filters out. I've had, you know, I've had situations even with banks like Barclays, I'm going to say it openly. This is about probably about five years ago, you know, where the middle management doesn't get it. And I remember talking to one of the bosses at, at a high level and he said, this is something that we're trying to really improve at the firm. You know, so there is levels of institutional prejudice and racism that exists in most of society. And this is something that is going to take a big move, a big wave to actually fix because it is cultural. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. I generally thought you'd answer and go, no, I'm, I'm part of the elite now, Steph, so I don't have to deal with that stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I mean, the thing is, I don't have it in the, I don't have it in the high circles. No, when I'm going into high circles, I don't get it in the high circles. It's normally when I'm in a, like, dressed like a, a, I've got a hoodie on right now. It's normally when I'm in situations or environments where they don't expect someone like me to be working in that environment. And that is the experience of most of our young people. That's the experience of most of our people, really. Yeah. 
Um, you know what I mean? In work and in play as well, they, you know, there is there is always this perception. It's a sad truth, but it's something that if we are all more vocal about it and not just vocal about it, but demand change, it will eventually change. But it's something that's going to going to take time, unfortunately. But it, I think the key is being vocal about it because I feel that perhaps people of our parents' generation or grandparents' generation weren't as vocal, vocal within the community, but I mean, you know, vocal outside the community they would maybe just accept it as a given or you know what I mean but now we're, we're, we're less inclined to arguably well I think that they pushed in the direction that they could push because yeah. if you remember yeah. you know times are very hard for <laughs> our elders in that they had to oftentimes do partners to actually get their homes and their possible mm-hmm. job was necessary so you go through it in order to provide for your family you've got to go for it because you're in a racist britain and so what they did is they ensured that they instilled all of the values needed for the children work three times as hard work two times as hard make sure that you are excellent because once you're excellent then you're going to have an avenue open for you because when you're the best no matter who you are you're going to push through just like look at the same ball when you look at the same ball everyone said he's too lanky and kiaron when he gets out of the block he's wobbling and everything like that but he aspired to become the best when you become the best they have no choice but to take notice and so you see that yeah. with that type of with that type of way we stand on the shoulders of giants literally mm-hmm. yeah. that did that and so now you know we we have access to a lot more than they did but they created a lot of doorways and pathways for us to actually walk through and many well, of them on the unsung heroes and that's part of the problem yeah. because the now generation doesn't know the people that really opened the doors for them you know for them to go through yeah no excellent but i'm not like trying to be derogatory. i know it's mm-hmm different times it's a stage but I think especially if you're born here as well it's kind of different almost kind of different mentality you we're not asking permission we have we know what we're entitled to as well as the next person so yeah it's all of that kind of progression for that but yeah powerful it's all right to ask you like out of all of your kind of many hats that you wear so entrepreneur international speaker expert martial artist karate isn't it you black belt and karate is that yeah, right yeah and um and jiu-jitsu engineer pilot which was the hardest area to master? Yes, we've got you thinking. Every, um, everything that is worth achieving is hard. Mm-hmm. You're asking me a very hard question because each one of those has been hard. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them has not been easy. And the thing is, anything that's worth having, you've got to work for it. And many people have this wrong mindset. They say, oh, it's hard. I'm not going to do it. I hit the table. That's hard. The thing is, it's a mindset. Once you create the mindset of pushing over an obstacle, I tell you what the hardest thing was, it wasn't those achievements. The hardest thing was getting onto the A-level. Right. Yeah. That was the hardest yeah. thing because it was at that point I realized that no doesn't mean no. If you mm-hmm. keep pushing, no can mean yes. <laughs> if you keep on yeah. pushing, no can mean yes. Yeah, for me, that was the hardest challenge, which was actually, it was not any of my achievements because once I had that knowledge of that mindset that I could overcome such a huge obstacle where I didn't have the requirements to get onto the course at all, but it was just pure resilience and determination. You know, mm-hmm. that was the hardest. And the thing is to get the knockbacks as well, because people don't like, I don't like rejection. Yeah, nobody likes rejection. It's hard to deal with. It's hard to do. Imagine that you're in a, in a tight relationship here and you just get rejected. Ah, right, life crashes, but listen, it's hard to deal with rejection. You fail your exam, you, the system don't want you. It's hard to deal with rejection. So for me, that was the that was probably the hardest thing. It was actually getting onto my A levels. And do you know what I love about that answer? I think from somebody who reads about you, and most of the listeners will know you from that kind of abstract. You are Nathaniel Pete, you're this massive successful person. I think sometimes it's quite alien to think that you could go through stages where you are a, like a, a rookie or you are learning something. You, I read the articles about you and we read about your successes and how you smash things and your mindset and how you've got a, obviously a fantastic attitude for delivering. So to hear that you, it took a while for you to come to actually think, well, actually, wait, how do I answer this question number one? And that all of them were really difficult. It's really refreshing to hear that because it makes you that little bit more relatable. Do you know what I mean? That, that human side of you I suppose <laughs> mm, I had to think because I was going through each one of them like I was like all right martial arts hard and I'm like, I'm hard. <laughs> like oh the aviation hard <laughs> it's like engineering or hard I'm like what the hell? you know all the way with it. all of these things are hard 
<laughs> so so I, couldn't, I couldn't I couldn't compare any of them. So I was just like, hold on, wait, wait, what was the hardest thing where I felt everything? Like it was hard on my emotions, hard on my mind, hard on my control, because I could control all of those achievements, but I couldn't control somebody saying you can come onto this course. And so it's the times when you're out of control when you're most vulnerable. And that's the time when I was probably the most vulnerable and had to try to push to try to achieve something. And it, I didn't have the requirements. It was completely out of my control. Fab. So super, super, super inspiring. I love it. So just having conversations about the Jamaicans Inspired, can you tell us a little bit more about that amazing organisation? It's yet another example of the Nathaniel Pete vibe, really, of where you put your mind to something and it just turns into like gold. It's amazing. Well, Jamaicans Inspired was born out of, um, you read in, kind of a brief um, synopsis of my bio about the 2009 Youth Diaspora Conference. That's where we had 50 young people from the UK, from Canada, USA, travel to Jamaica, and those about 100 and something delegates in Jamaica where we held the very first ever Youth Diaspora Conference. And at this conference, basically, we were trying to look at reconnecting the diaspora back to their heritage. A lot of people that suffer with identity problems. So what happens is in the UK, right, you're born in Jamaica, you're born in Ghana, you're born in, you know, Trinidad, um, and you're fine you are Jamaican, you're Trinidadian, you're Ghanaian. But what happens if you're a second generation? You're a second generation with all the culture, all the food, all the music, the everyth- everything of that country. And in the country, you're not quite British. But when you go back to your home country, they call you a brand new English. Right? So, but, you're, but you're saying in England that you're either from Trinidad, from Barbados, from Nigeria, from Jamaica, from wherever. Do you follow what I'm saying? So it's an identity crisis and the young people yeah. have no identity. So basically part of that was to create a cultural connection of heritage and culture. In addition to that, it was also looking at the country's GDP because as the older people are dying out, the young people are not investing into the country. As a result, the GDP of the country was going down and they anticipated over the next 10 years it would be bad so we were charged in fact by the governor general which is the queen's representative in the country we were charged by the governor general to say look you know think about the ways in which we can now empower through giving of the diaspora back into the country and reconnecting the youth back to Jamaica because when they become young men young women when they grow they will then become tomorrow's investors and so from that we took it and we said let's start an organization it was called the Jamaica Diaspora Future Leaders but most of us were already leaders we said the name is too old it's too dated most people don't even know what diaspora means it's a Latin word meaning those who are dispersed so we're asking young people what do you want to call it they said all right let's call it jamming well we can't really call it jamming so we call it Jamaican <laughs> and the inn is inspired right so we call it Jamaicans inspired so it's a it's a diaspora organization which offers a range of different ways of reconnecting back to uh, Jamaica either through land investment through uh, buying property there if through starting a business there either through investing in the stock market we do philanthropic work it, which which means outreach work with orphanages and on health initiatives and so forth we have other things where if the diaspora travels out to Jamaica they get discounts on hotels and we have a rewards program in fact one of our big partners which is enterprise rent a car if you enter your jamaicans inspired code you can get a discount on any of those enterprise cars globally anywhere in the world and so that's uh, one of the membership benefits that we have alongside others as well so that's a way of repaying almost the diaspora for their giving because they really sold back into the country so that's what jamaicans inspired is about and if you look at the logo it's in the shape of africa because we understand heritage we understand where we come from and we understand that we are all part of the african diaspora and we begin to work as one that's when you achieve a lot, a lot more there's a there's a movie planet the apes where they have one stick one stick weak two sticks three sticks strong and this is it when, yeah. we, when we when we come together we create this fist and it's powerful and so we talk about diaspora those who are dispersed coming back to their heritage and, and reconnecting back to their roots through business sport cultural spirituality and other different ways philanthropic giving and literally just to be a tourist Fantastic. I think it's amazing. It is. And if I was a young person, I would come back a different, I'd have a more balanced and worldly attitude to life, really. As you say, your second, third, fourth generation, your kind of direct link in terms of your relative might not no longer be here. So you might feel a bit reluctant to travel on your own. But if you're going with a group of other people, then you've got that camaraderie, you've got people who kind of can share the you know, as you say, straddling two cultures, you're not British enough when you're here and you're not Jamaican enough when you're there. And I think, you know, we have that for, for Ghana, but I just think in the end, I determine what I identify as and, and this is me, take me or leave me, but I want to learn more. And you can find people who will help you achieve those goals. But I think it's amazing to be able to go as a group and as a collective that's... Yeah, so it's much- powerful. 
it's really fun. Number one, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and number two, it's just powerful. It's powerful because, you know, we've taken people that were frightened of going to Jamaica and they've come back different people. So they're coming back saying, you know, it's nothing like what I thought, you know, and, you know, they are now interested in actually doing work and going out there. In fact, it's great because this year was the, the wow. year of return, in fact. And this was the decade of the decade of return. So we actually had your president out in Jamaica. In fact, we, we had a delegation of young people that we brought over and people that went and actually some of the people got to meet your president as well there, which was really cool so um you know it is all about reconnecting i think we're going to definitely plan a trip to ghana at some point because heritage wise yeah. we have traced my roots back to ghana oh brilliant amazing oh my god nathaniel when you go please invite afro lead listen 110 percent. yeah yeah 110 we're, we're connected now so we're yeah. just <laughs> And fabulous and it's recorded so you can't go back on it <laughs> so could I ask you because it seems that you combine a lot of what you're passionate about and interested in in your ventures whether it's for business or philanthropy but with your Gen X solar business mm-hmm. I'm really fascinated mm-hmm. by this so it's an innovative renewable energy company operations in different African and Caribbean countries it's really inspiring and it's so like definitely something that is really really needed and it's almost surprising that the African continent isn't the leader within solar power. How did it come about? How it came about, I was a Virgin Media pioneer, a young entrepreneur that Virgin had this campaign they were doing at the time whereby they were trying to get, they were trying to get young entrepreneurs and they would give us a free digital camera. We were talking a while back now, yeah? So it was a digital, before the the phone camera was up like how it is, right? (laughs) They gave us a free laptop and basically we had to record and load our videos onto the Virgin platform. And and so I was a Virgin Media pioneer. My business partner, Dawa Ajari, from Africa she was a a Virgin Virgin media pioneer as well and what was happening in 2012 Richard Branson and uh, a couple of other entrepreneurs were trying to get what they call a startup loan scheme started in the UK and Virgin basically said that they wanted some of their entrepreneurs to pitch it to then the, the mayor of London, who was Boris Johnson at the time, and also the then business minister. And so we were brought together at this event and they were purposely brought to our stand for us to talk to them about how hard it was for me as a black person getting a business startup loan from a bank and my business partner, who, is, who was a black woman, how difficult it was for her to actually get a startup loan. Yeah. She used her student loan to start her first business that was used as a case study in parliament and they passed it as legislation so you can get a startup loan for businesses okay. um so the whole startup scheme <laughs> so the whole startup scheme was part of that thing anyway That's we, mad. Met, we, we met at this event and we're like you do phone cases and she, and she says oh you you do such and such i said you know what the olympics is next year you know let's do a phone case so you know them times when you used to have those cases that had designs at the back it was hot yeah. in t- 2011 around <laughs> about that time yeah. and so we said, the olympics is next year i've got links in jamaica to like the athletic team yeah let's get a, a jamaica case right because you know jamaica is gonna be hot for that olympics it was hot for that olympics anyway so what happened now is we, i said okay part of it is going to go back and so back into athletes right and we can sell this and so we managed to network our way into the o2 right where yeah. that was called the greenwich arena at the time okay ah, yes yeah. and mm-hmm. we managed to network our way in there and so at the time virgin was trying to become the airline sponsor and british airways got it and so just before we went into our meeting we did a video and we sent it to the Virgin Network for Richard Branson. We networked our way in and we got in and we started to sell our phone case there. So after the after Olympus is done, Olympus is done, and we're like, you know what? Phone cases are dead now. Like 2012, phone case dead. Let's think about something else. So we thought about let's create a, a charger case. So we started to source where we could get it made and all the rest of it. And we started to look at designs and we did it. And we created a charger case. We took it to John Lewis and they said, look, we've just got another supplier last week with the Mophie case. We said, all right, we're going to switch this. So what we did is we said, look, let's create a solar case. Let's create a solar charger. So we created wow. a solar charger. In fact, I've got I've got the uh, thing here. This is one of our solar cells that we created. Yeah. So we created Wicked. a solar cell. It's just on the front of this notebook. It's, it's solar, I'll show you. Solar powered fair. charger. Yeah, like a backup, like a power bank. Yeah. So um, yeah, we created that. This is a long time since 2012 now. 
2012. So what happened was I had the samples and I basically took them to a dinner when my friend was leaving the country and she had all her work colleagues. We were sitting opposite a woman from Kenya and she saw my phone charging from one of my prototypes. So she said, what's that? I said, it's a solar charger. So she said, oh my God, I need to take that to my brother. He works at Airtel. Now Airtel's a big telecom in Africa, right? So he's, he's one of the directors of, of Airtel. He does the procurement for all the phones for Airtel. Can I take it? Wow. So, so listen, it hasn't got the certifications yet. It's just a prototype. Like it needs certificates, otherwise customers are going to confiscate it. You know, it needs a, it, all the rest of it. And so we managed to get the, the one which was done and we got all these test certificates and everything. And then she took it over there he's like oh my god this is amazing next thing we're on a flight to Kenya um in fact we went to South Africa first and then we went to Kenya and when we went there they said look does it charge anything else like can we can we create light so we said yeah sure yeah we'll do a light so we did a we did a lamp solar lamp then they said look can you create anything bigger I said, okay, we'll do a home lighting system then they said can you create anything bigger and what that's literally how it started it started from a phone case and then it moved into because we said you know what solar energy will stop and eradicate children from burning themselves but we wanted to create something that would empower lives that would be that they can build it they can assemble it they can teach others to do it they'll be able to install it and they basically thus will be creating profit with purpose yeah and so now we're at the level where we can do mini grids right up to 250 kilowatts and that has been a journey that's the raw journey of how it really started both myself and my business partner dawa she's cognizant of the reality of what it's like in nigeria i'm cognizant of the fact of and the reality of what it's like in jamaica in rural areas where they don't have electricity and they use kerosene mm -hmm. i've seen it firsthand and she's experienced it firsthand and so you know that's part of the reason why we started that genx means genesis and exodus like a beginning and a breakthrough oh, so when when you see in genesis at the beginning that god spoke he said let there be light and so light basically is there it takes away darkness and then exodus is an escape from some type of bondage the bondage of the oppression of, of of hardship of lack of power and when the light goes on it's a light which basically brightens up the darkness and so basically that's what it means is gen x and it's a play on on some biblical foundation Oh, I love, I love it even more. This is amazing. So Julie, powerful. Julie is all over that now. She's absolutely loving it. I just, oh, every time I go to Ghana, I think that's one thing we've got in spade loads. This, I mean, we've got loads of other things and brilliant resources in terms of like the people, the minds, mm, the mm. mindset. But, you know, that is just so powerful. And I love hearing like the, the foundation of the name, how it's come from something that we all use because every time I go I'm always amazed by the technological advancements and like I'm sure you're aware like the mobile phone in network is much more powerful than the kind of domestic one everyone's got absolutely so that's absolutely cool and I mean do you create like backpacks as well because you know if you think kids are going to school walking to school power up the backpacks they've got light as well at home if they haven't got the whole we room. we we haven't made it, but we did have a model which was drawn up for Didicel a while back. They were looking at rural farmers to charge their laptops. Right. So we did do the, what we call CAD, the CAD drawings and yeah. stuff like that, and the model of what it would be and stuff. Uh, that's computer-aided design type of mock-up. But the demand wasn't there, so we decided we're not going to pursue it. Okay. I think it's incredible. Is Gen X available like in Ghana as well, or you kind of... Not yet, not yet. It's mainly on the east side of Africa. Okay. So we're mainly dealing with the eastern parts of Africa. There's a lot of noise in Ghana around solar energy. There has been for some years. Yeah. So you have to go to a market where there's not much of it happening. So we will be thinking about that at a later date, but it has to come from a large distributor. We're not going to go in there and work hard because it's hard to set up business in Africa. It's not easy. So we'd need this very strong distribution channel set up already and, and some very strong direct on the ground that have the ability and the connectivity within all of the governments and the local governments uh, that are there and also with uh, some of the chiefs of some very large villages which will help us and also some of the credit unions that exist i'm saying credit unions but there's a local name for philanthropists and business people that sold into community funds which have like these community style banks and so these types of groups we need to be in a number of them so there's certain requirements in order to go into a new country that we have now yeah oh i think it's amazing i just want to see it everywhere it's so good it's so necessary so from 
our mother country to back to the UK. It's the time for the melanin magic question, which is what are your hopes and dreams for black British culture in the next five to 10 years? And do you have any insights or any ideas on how we're going to get there? Well, my hope is that we can completely reform the education system, number one. You see, the thing is this, if you're going to create a nation, you need to start in the minds of children. And so when you start in the mind of a child and you start to disrupt their thinking, then they will grow with a certain attitude and certain principles. That generation goes forward, then the generation below them comes with a new set of principle reinforcing that. And so basically you need more than a 10-year pipeline for that. You need at least 30 years in order for that type of cultural shift to happen, because those those ones which start basically in in year in the first 10 years by the time they get to the 30 year old now they're pushing into the system now as they go up that one that started initially will be at the top board level with a mindset the one below them will have a stronger mindset the one below that will have a stronger mindset and so it's about teaching correct black history i'm not talking about I'm not talking about history that starts in the 1200s. I'm not talking about the history that starts in the 1600s. I'm not talking about the history of the last 430 years or 500 years. I'm talking about the history that existed way before, where we had kingdoms in Ghana, kingdoms in Nigeria, uh, universities in Timbuktu, the Mali Empire, where you had ships and boats traveling to the other side of the world, where you had compasses that are created by the Moors that Christopher Columbus stole and actually was trying to get to China and he ended up going over to the Caribbean and then and then went back to Europe to, to enslave the people. I'm talking about real knowledge where the Pope gave him the permission to go back in with 17 warships to yeah. go and get to go to go and enslave the people. And so it's the real knowledge that needs to be taught that maths doesn't come from Greece, but it comes from Africa. It's the real knowledge that they need to learn in the schools and see education is a critical component then what needs to happen on top of that i would love to see for black money to move within black systems that means that we create our own businesses that means we spend our own pound in our own business that means we partner with our own businesses that means that we we bolster together as a community that means that the wealth that is in the continent now is invested by us that we put our money into the ground not into the banks when we put our money into the ground in hard assets like gold and diamond diamonds and copper when we invest in a mine that's back home now we start to earn money now real wealth starts to generate this is what the elite do this is what other people do when we start to do that as a community and develop our own systems then we rise financially with finance you're able to unlock so much more and so it starts with education it starts with disrupting systems right you're talking about lobbying at the highest level lobbying at the highest level to create change we need policy makers that are in government because it's not the politicians that make the policies it is the the policy writers that make it so we need to be in places of influence it's about affluence and it's also about influence but above that affluence you need to have influence it's not about affluence now it's about influence as you get the influence that's when you get the affluence when you have the power to influence then you're able to change and so i'd like to see you know more black history taught accurately across the whole cur curriculum i'd like to see i'm maybe going to say equality i'm maybe going to say equality you know the word equality i just want we want a level play field a level playing field That's yeah it. i hear that i hear level that playing field because you know it's not basically asking you don't they don't owe us any favors we deserve to be there yeah yeah and you see when you're talking about equality it's like mm, inclusion it's like oh okay we're gonna put them in there yeah because we feel bad no they don't owe us no favors based upon our excellence based upon our skills we have a right to be there and so it's really just having a level playing field that's it you know the way you can look at equality is this one person is five foot the other person is six foot and they're watching the race and the boxes they get to stand on are equal height one person is still it's disadvantaged not, yeah. it's not equal 100 yeah mm -mm. And so no almost, that's almost that's what it's like if you know what i'm saying so these equality yeah. race things have been in you know government for so long they've been talking about this for a long time yeah, you know but the only the only real change is going to happen when when we start to teach our own. And another, another thing is this, is that, you know, I want to see more black male teachers in primary schools. I and mean, this is in particular for our black young people, because, you know, with, well, there's anything wrong with white teachers, you know, they, they do their job and they're good at their job. However, for black boys in particular, they need to see black male robot models in those schools as well. So it's important that we have all of these things and, you know, and I, and I, 
believe that when we start to have this, we'll have a better system here in the UK. Yeah, man, I hear that. Especially the education piece. I'm not saying that, you know, I didn't appreciate my white teachers back in the day and stuff like that. But to have a somebody that looked like me who could really get when I was or why think certain things were getting me down or could notice certain, you know, just to use one example, I, I studied history at school and I took quite a lot of time out. I didn't bunk off, but I went to this like sick bay because I just didn't like the topic of slavery. It used to really, I was in a class full of just white people like my peers and they were all cool friends, but it got to the point where it was like that type of time of the year and I was just like, I can't sit there whilst people think this is me. They will pop on roots and, you know, if, if I told my teacher that they just said just come on just get on with it that's how I felt if there was a black teacher there that could really see the the pain and understand it it would be a completely different conversation so I totally hear that and it's you know I don't want to kind of um say in a kind of fleeting comment it's key that it's it's not just a nice to have it is fundamental for the kings and queens of the future to succeed and to have confidence in who they are on a day-to-day basis to get that from teachers that look like them and that can empathize with what they're going through so I totally hear that totally Absolutely, you know. My English teacher at school, his name was Mr. Decent Henry, unfortunately passed away now, but he impacted so many lives. And out of all the teachers, we respect that teacher. We'll never forget him, you know, because he he really understood our journey. And it's really I think it you both made really excellent points, but it's really important to have perspectives different perspectives if you've got a different mix of teachers or different uh, you know senior management within education the perspectives are going to be different you know some schools completely not the black issue should be just taught one month of the year absolutely not but you know we have this black history month let's use it and embrace it but other school I, I know one of my friends who's a teacher has been in schools where black history month just doesn't exist but pride really does and why is that because the the teachers that are there in management or of having influence that's on that's that's their agenda that's their perspective that they want to make sure that the children know but so if you have more diversity within your your school teachers or leadership then you are going to to share that not just with the black it's very important for our children but I think it's also important for everybody else because if if you have I don't know if you've got a black head teacher black teacher it's not going to be an alien concept to have a black person in a position of authority wherever you end up in in the world as you go do you know what I mean but if if that's something you've never seen you're you're perhaps you're less likely to accept that to facilitate that to initiate that do you know what I mean it's all really important for everybody I think but yeah when you were speaking I was thinking gosh I'm going to run for prime minister do you have any political you've got to do it I've got no aspirations to get into politics because um politics is not politics I'm going to say because um you can't create real change from a political position I see that you can't create real change from a from a political position you can't create a real impact from a political position because you're always following a particular set of rules and guidelines when you are free agent you have the ability to influence on circles you have the ability to be the change maker you have the person to go down and and graft and and also you know so that's why i would never be a a politician it will require things that will cause me to compromise my morality i guess you are you are affecting and bringing about change as, as you are and what you're doing. So yeah, please continue with, in that vein. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way to contact you? Yeah, people can reach out. You know, I'm on most of the social media platforms. You know, you can go to my website, which is just Nathaniel Pete. That's P-E-A-T and I-E-L for Nathaniel. And yeah, you can connect that way if you want me to present or do any speaking engagements and stuff like that. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, it's just Nathaniel Pete. Nathaniel Pete on LinkedIn, Nathaniel Pete on Facebook and Nat Pete on Instagram. So you, you can reach out and... I'm willing to help or, you know, support you if your business ventures. I run programs for business and mm. um, I teach people about trading as well. And because trading is something I think that we need for this time, this season, you can earn a lot of money in the markets with the right knowledge. I always say that those who read are the ones that lead and the ones that lead are the ones that succeed. Because if you learn the education, then, you know, you will 
turn that into something else, which is called earning, because you can take the L plates off of the learn and make it earn. <laughs> and so that. you're actually basically, um, you know, learning what the banks do with your money, essentially. And I think it's a, I think it's definitely a tool. So I teach people how to do trading. That's through Courage 500. And if you want the safety box intervention, you can look us up online, www.thesafetybox.org. And uh, yeah, so we're disrupting and and I'm, I'm willing to connect with people that, that need help and assistance, you know, if there's one way I can support or if there's another way I might be able to get somebody else to support, you know, it's about creating change and being a change maker. Absolutely. And you are so generous on your social media. You often share your what you're doing whether you're traveling or whether it's more of a domestic appearance or work that you're doing so it's so easy to get the motivation that you need I often see lots of the stuff that you're doing and think crikey this guy is just on it he never stops and it makes me just feel so empowered about the people that are in our that are fighting our corner and stuff so please please do follow watch get in touch do your research about kings like Nathaniel but that is it for, from us today thank you so much Nathaniel Peach you have been an absolute pleasure to have on our podcast it's been an absolute seriously it's been incredible I know our listeners would have taken so much from today and learned so many nuggets of information and gold and things to spur them on moving forward so thank you so much for being so giving and thanks to the listeners for joining in again this week and you can join us again next time thank you so much Julie and Stephanie I really appreciate you and just be empowered women of purpose and really just the last thing I say to your to your listeners man I want you to repeat to yourself right as you're listening to me I want you to close your eyes and I want to empower yourself and say to yourself and repeat the words and you say my life has purpose my life has purpose I want you to close your eyes I want you to say my story is important and when you close your eyes I want you to see that in your mind I want you to say to yourself my voice matters my voice matters and understand that wherever you are your environment you can just speak out and that voice can take life the power of life and death is in your tongue and you've got the ability to manifest things. I want you to say that my dreams count. My dreams count. And I want you to repeat, I was born to make an impact. I was born to make an impact. And as you go through your life daily, just have these types of affirmations, which will help you to aspire higher and move forward in your life into your destiny. I love that. You're so powerful. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nathaniel. Thanks, guys. It's been good.